0: Good morning, everyone. I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise. Today is July 22nd, the 203rd day of 2019, leaving us 162 days until 2020. Tonight affords us a rare midsummer opportunity, given the dark country skies we have in much of down east Maine, to behold the summer triangle, that large asterism, consisting of three bright stars apportioned in three of the night sky's smallest constellations. The three stars are Vega, Deneb, and Altair, and the respective three constellations are Vulpecula the fox, Delphinus the dolphin, and Sagitta, the arrow. Volpecula means little fox in Latin and is the hardest of these three small constellations because of its lacking a distinctive shape. Polish astronomer Johannes Hevelius introduced Volpecula to the stargazing world in the late 17th century. Delphinus is the little constellation that in shape resembles a dolphin leaping among the waves and was first cataloged by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy in the 2nd century AD. Ancient Greeks had at least two stories to go with Delphinus. In one, Delphinus is the dolphin who rescues the Greek poet Arion from pirates and carries him to safety. In another, Delphinus is the sky dolphin, representing the sea dolphin sent by the sea god Poseidon to find Amphitrite, the Nereid, or sea nymph. Poseidon wanted to marry. Sagitta means the arrow in Latin. Resembling the shape of an arrow, this is another constellation named by Ptolemy, and his contemporaries conjectured the arrow had been shot from the bow of Hercules. Only the dated among us will remember singer-songwriter Harry Nilsson's tune, Me and My Arrow, included in his 1970 album, The Point and released as a single in 1971, when it reached number 34 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number 3 on Billboard's Adult Contemporary Chart, purportedly an index of the most popular tunes on American adult radio stations. Me and my arrow, straighter than narrow, wherever we go, everyone knows it's me and my arrow. But we're now a considerable distance from 1970, when young Nielsen was living in Laurel Canyon and tripping on acid. And everywhere he looked skyward, he saw the tops of the trees, observing to himself, they all come to a point, don't they? Fast forward nearly five decades to just shy of 2020, and the world at large feels like it's been tripping right along for what many would say has been too long insofar as our collective use of fossil fuels is concerned, anyway. Others might say, weighing in about the potentially enlightening effects of LSD, that we have not been tripping enough to accomplish the adequate attitude adjustment necessary to properly entertain ways to curb our highly dangerous collective use of fossil fuels. Are we, as cartoonist Wiley suggests in his series Non Sequitur, unable to differentiate between a sphere of serenity and a bubble of delusion when going about the business of living? About half a decade before Nielsen's Me and My Arrow appeared on the musical scene, the World Meteorological Organization, or WMO, proposed the term climatic change to encompass all forms of climatic variability on time scales longer than 10 years, regardless of cause. That was in 1966. But during the 1970s, the term climate change became increasingly favored and quickly replaced climatic change so as to properly focus on anthropogenic causes, since human causes were clearly showing themselves as having great potential to drastically alter climate. Indeed, in the past few decades, that potential has become measurable, most notably in parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere, but put there through our use of fossil fuel burning devices of one size or another. What to do about that has become of ever-increasing interest for many folks. A little more than a fortnight back, right around America's Independence Day 2019, Various news outfits, such as the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, The Guardian, National Geographic, and the Los Angeles Times, to name several, reported that new research from Switzerland suggested a method for capturing huge amounts of carbon dioxide. Professor Tom Crowter, who led the research at the Swiss university ETH Zurich, says... This new quantitative evaluation shows forest restoration isn't just one of our climate change solutions; It is overwhelmingly the top one. A partial summary by The Guardian states that the analysis found there are 1.7 billion hectares of treeless land on which 1.2 trillion native tree saplings would naturally grow. That area is about 11% of all land and equivalent to the size of the U.S. and China combined. Urban areas and all fields used to grow crops are excluded from the analysis, although grazing land, upon which researchers say a few trees can also benefit sheep and cattle, is included. Professor Crowder emphasizes that bringing fossil fuel emissions and forest destruction down to zero is essential and that the worldwide forest restoration envisaged would take 50 to 100 years to have its full effect of removing 200 billion tons of carbon. Nobel Peace Prize laureate and environmental and political activist Wangari Maathai believes, when we plant trees, we plant seeds of peace and seeds of hope. And of course, we immediately wonder, surely the 1% of the world's richest people would see the many advantages of investing in the planting of such vast numbers of trees, or would their greediness to hold on to their monetary wealth prevail instead? From Orono, Maine, where our trees are prolific, I'm R.W. Estella with a word in Edgewise, here's to a fine summer day.